a code red for humanity. Curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. We often start these episodes with the phrase, what a week. But there's no other way of slicing this one. What a week. We've now found ourselves without leadership and direction. Boris Johnson has gone. Well, okay, not quite, but you take the point. Over the last 72 hours, great men and women walked into that prime ministerial office at number 10 and urged him to go. They had their reasons. They had their letters and told him the game was up. They were first to make the point, they said. Well, let's now speak to the man who's been urging him to f*** off for the last three years. He's the green environmentalist and entrepreneur, Dale Vince. How are you, Dale? Yeah, I'm good, actually. And I want to say, actually, I think we've been leaderless for the last three years. I was going to say, yeah. It's quite strange, all these people saying, you must go, Prime Minister. It's like, have you been listening to this podcast? Because, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the message has been loud and clear. And it's kind of happened. I mean, what, what's what's your first reaction to this? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm bemused, right, that that so many Tory MPs suddenly couldn't stand him being prime minister any longer. You know, I guess they reached their own tipping point, and that last lie about not knowing about uh, pincher the pincher just pushed them over the edge, right? Um, yeah. And and this is Johnson. It is most. Uh, classic Johnson, I suppose. I was going to say stupid, but he didn't need to lie about it. He could have just said, yeah, I appointed the guy. I thought everybody deserved a second chance. You know, uh, let's move on. But he didn't. He pretended he didn't know <laughs> another stupid lie. And this one killed him. Yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, from from your perspective, I mean, when you start to think about replacements, I don't know if you've even started to delve into the list, but it's you know, it, it's got to be somebody who's going to tick the boxes you've been asking for 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 ages, forever. Oh my God, what a lineup, though, right? What an identity yeah. parade of of misfits and wallies and incompetence and unqualified people we have in the running. And now the Tory party themselves will choose our next prime minister. I mean, that's happened before. They seem to do that all the time. Yep. And and I just don't think I don't see any good choices in there actually. And maybe Rory Stewart, actually. I quite liked him last time he ran for it. I think that man makes a lot of sense. There is that kind of sense at the moment that the green agenda, let's call it that, is is going to be put on the back burner because of other things, even though they're all ultimately uh, interlinked in in so many ways. But you can see the thinking of a a politician or the team around them going, okay, we'll come back to the green stuff once we've got this sorted out. You know, I think it could become a football of the contest itself because you, you've got Steve Half-Baked Baker uh, standing as an anti-green candidate for the leadership of, or the prime yeah. ministership of the country. You know, I mean, he, this this guy's ferociously anti-green stuff. And I think we could see green issues become an actual issue of the leadership race itself, which would be unfortunate. But, you know, the Tory party is at war with itself over so many things, right? Brexit, green stuff. I mean, you name it. So we shouldn't be surprised. Steve Baker. As yeah. my old nan used to say, Dale, what a tosser. 
<laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was thinking the other day of saying to you, you know, as your as your old nan would have probably described them, they're a bunch of c**ts, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> I nearly went there myself. Then I, I was thinking, <laughs> it's such a beautifully uh, descriptive collective noun, noun is, right? For, yeah. for what's going on. Um, so let's get to some other stories as well. BP accused of dumping industrial waste in a marine protected area. Does this stuff still go on? You'd think by now nobody would be – they were making movies about this kind of thing in the 1980s. <laughs> it's madness, isn't it? It's a very special marine zone as well. It's the only place where we've got deep sea sponges in the UK, and they just want to dump thousands of tons of pipes and cables onto the seabed. They say they're going to come back and pick it up later, right? Because they're obliged to clean up properly. But right now, they'd rather just drop it on the seabed. And they were going to do it in a controlled manner, winching it down. But they decided they'd rather do it quickly and just drop it and let it land where it lands. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. The regulator, there is a regulator for this stuff, says, yeah, that'll be okay. And on they go. And on they go. They don't really seem to care, do they? It's as simple as that. No, they don't. They made five billion in the first quarter of this year from crazy international energy prices, and they can't afford just to lower that stuff onto the seabed. They haven't got time. Here's a question from Simon on Twitter: Why do you reckon Simon Jordan was so angry with you? What a fantastic interview! This would have been uh, your appearance in the week on Talksport, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know why, right? But it seems to happen every time I go on there. I mean, some people are saying that I trigger him, uh, which is quite amusing. But yeah, he goes off like a nine bob rocket every time I'm in the studio. He's like, oh, you know, we shouldn't be talking about this. You shouldn't be having the oxygen of publicity. And he, he repeated that about six times before I said to him, well, well, let me speak then, you know, because <laughs> I am here. What was here. his problem? What was, what was he arguing with you about? He'll argue with me about everything, right? But in this particular case, it was about Formula One which was disrupted by the Just Stop Oil protesters. Obviously, he was against yeah. it. I was for it. Um, but after the show, we were chatting, and I was. Uh, Jim said something to me, and I'm like, oh, Jim, you were down the middle. Me and Simon, of course, we were on the other side of the discussion. And so I was like, no, we're not. I'm like, come on, we just spent like 30 minutes arguing. <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> and in the end, we pared it down, and I had to say to him, look, you actually think it was a wrong thing to protest there? And I, I thought it was okay. So we are disagreeing, right? And he was like, well, okay then. So, I mean, yeah. this man just wants to argue with me. But Did you part with a handshake? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike him. I said that to him. You know, I like to be on the show. I like them both, Jim and Simon. But Simon th- seems to think it's his job to, uh, you know, to argue against me, to to interrupt me, to kind of have a little battle with me, you know. I don't know if it's yeah. in his own head or is in his job description. I honestly don't know. But there we were again on Talk Sport talking about the climate crisis and fossil fuels, and I loved it, and he hated it. Did you go into the studio? Yeah, I was in the studio, yeah. And, and that's the weird thing. So I was literally standing on the same floor as you without knowing you were there. Ah, I didn't know. Uh, one of Mike Graham's people came out while I was in the waiting seats, you know, those yeah. little racing seats uh, yeah, that yeah. they have. And uh, it was like, oh, Mike, would love to have you on. And I was up for it, but then it didn't work. So it didn't work out. And next time I'll have to do the tour, right? You, Mike, and Talk Sport do the, yeah, do the hat you trick, to, right? You, you could do Chris Evans on Virgin as well, because that's down there too. So Okay. That's a, yeah, there's a, there's a no. whole crock of delight. <laughs> um, here's, <laughs> uh, here's one, a potentially deadly superbug found in supermarket hawk. 
which is more than a little disturbing. I know you wouldn't touch the stuff anyway, but it does kind of rather hammer home one of the potential issues you've always raised about eating meat. Yeah, I mean, it's industrial animal farming, uh, which routinely uses antibiotics because it must. It used to be to fatten animals until the EU blessed them, banned it. Uh, we may reintroduce it for all we know. But anyway, now they use it to control disease because these animals are kept in such awful conditions that disease is rife. And that is causing... Uh, resistance to antibiotics and what's happened is somebody bought a whole bunch of different pork red tractor organic all the stuff you might think is better and tested it and found bugs galore and bugs that are resistant to the last resort antibiotics that we use to save human lives which is incredible and scary and the um, the numbers are a few years ago when they ran the test there was one sample in 100 that had this stuff going on and now it's one in eight Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a big rise. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that should be disturbing to anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. And then there's somebody in this article saying, oh, it's okay. As long as you like keep the pork separate in the fridge, wash your hands after you've touched it, clean all your utensils, don't mix it with anything else and cook it properly, you'll be safe. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. I like the, I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Just incinerate the f*** out of it and everything will be all right. Yeah. And, and, and wear your hazmat suit and yeah. you know, take all these yeah. amazing precautions, right? Did you ever have to do that to cook a carrot? Yeah. Alternatively, just bypass the process and eat something else. That's yeah, maybe yeah. the best advice. Exactly. It's getting uh, ridiculous, right? Question in from Pam on Facebook. Are the government's net zero plans now in tatters? We just sort of half touched on that, but very serious question is net zero. It's, it's that phrase that seems to really upset a lot of Tories, the Steve Bakers of this world. It's the net zero thing, with, which they think is kind of like a religion and almost a joke. And you're kind of forced to wonder whether one of those new leaders will, as we said before, stick it on the back burner. Yeah, I mean, look, the government have got net zero targets, but they haven't got a plan to get there. They haven't got a plan that's going to get us there. The Climate Change Committee made this clear last week. We're going to fall short by at least 30%, even if they deliver on what they've currently said they're going to do, which they very rarely do. So, I mean, they don't have a plan to get to net zero. But even so, yeah, you're right. It triggers a whole bunch of Tories who think that we do too much uh, on the green side of life. Uh, what about Kellogg's here? Kellogg's failing in a court challenge, uh, back to food again, uh, against high-sugared cereals. This is amazing, isn't it, when uh, food companies, whether it's them or somebody else, kind of tries to at least have the decency to fess up and go, yep, yeah, this is absolutely <laughs> rammed with shit. Uh, there's more sugar and salt in this than you could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, but instead, they try to find, find imaginative ways around it, low in this and low in that, no added this and all the rest of it. And uh, they try to challenge a, a court issue and lost. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Processed food is chock full of salt, sugar, and fat. They use that to overwhelm our taste buds to make us want that food again and to make all other food taste bland, right? They've been doing it for years and getting away with it. The government haven't done anywhere near enough to control that, but the one thing they did do was to ban those foods for being part of a buy one, get one free promotion. And this is what Kellogg's objected to. They went to court to say, come on, surely we can have a buy one, get one free for our food because the government have overlooked the fact that these flakes of corn that are completely covered in sugar get eaten with milk. That was their argument. They get eaten with milk, therefore it's not all bad. It gets diluted a little bit and the judge threw that out and – yeah, Kellogg's. I think well, that's said- like saying I eat KFC for breakfast, but I have a carrot with it, isn't it? And it's just a ridiculous <laughs> argument. Or a glass of water, right? I have a glass <laughs> of water with it, so it's okay. Come on. Uh, one from 
Charlotte on Twitter. Uh, what are the chances of energy bills going above 3,000 quid next time the price cap rises? And how the hell do we afford it? Currently nailed on, right? So energy prices went up again this week. We ran the numbers using Offgem's methodology. Right now, come October, when the price cap moves, it would be to £3,200 a year. And, you know, we put out a little tweet this week saying, this is a job for the new chancellor, first job for the new chancellor, get a proper grip of energy prices because millions of people can't afford their energy bills, right? Boris Johnson robbed funding from the Welsh and Scottish governments last week in order to send a billion pounds to Ukraine in, in the form of weapons, right? That's a lot of money that could be used to help a lot of people really going to struggle this winter with fuel poverty and food poverty. And, and that story isn't going away, is it, anytime soon, sadly? Well, it isn't. No, I mean, it's a, it's a real problem right here in our country, and it's not being dealt with. You know, Rishi Sunak, before we bailed, he hadn't dealt with it. Uh, I don't know if the new chancellor will last very long, but I hope he deals with it because we've got to do something. It's got to be on a par of, of the kind of response we made during the pandemic in terms of supporting people and the, uh, the economy and all that kind of stuff. You know, we've just got to say, look, this is short term acute problem. We've got to borrow money as a country to get people through the winter. We've got to fix this. I mean, energy price this winter will be three times higher than two winters ago. It's madness. Yeah. Uh, Story about snow. Uh, Snow at the world's highest observatories is melting. What's going on here? Yeah, just another one of those, you know, big signals to us to, you know, stop putting carbon into the atmosphere. uh, I think it's a month earlier than normal, which is a record. Um, and, you know, the world is warming up. It's like, you know, Steve Baker, are you listening, right? Because how many more events of floods and wildfires and super yeah. high temperatures and early melting and, and lack of sea ice and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and glaciers, right? So a glacier fell on some people a few days ago as well. It's like, come on, guys, the world is <laughs> literally melting in front of our eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's, what, what more do you need to know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is well, British Airways. I mean, again, tying to these these all kind of tie in in so many different ways. Mm. Um, I know you've you've talked a lot about curtailing or reducing um, air travel, uh, un- uh, unnecessary air travel, etc. British Airways cancelling a further ten thousand flights. I mean, there are different. Re- they're not doing this to save the environment, by the way. No, no, they're not. That's an inadvertent uh, benefit, I would say. This is Brexit. Right. I mean, uh, I think it was EasyJet, might have been Ryanair. No, I think it was EasyJet said they'd rejected 8,000 applications for jobs at their airline because the people there came from Europe and so they weren't allowed. And so they have a chronic staff shortage. They're canceling flights everywhere. And what what BA have just done with 10,000 flights is they've canceled one in seven of all of their flights, which is an incredible number. And it's all about Brexit. There just aren't the people around to staff um, these airlines in order to get the flights going. So I mean, we need to wake up to that as well. Our government are in denial about Brexit. There there was a report last week. We've seen a 20% drop in exports to the EU. You know, the economic impact is bigger than what we suffered from the pandemic. I mean, when are they going to wake up and admit the fact that trade and our economy has suffered from Brexit and we have chronic staff shortages and the whole country is kind of grinding to a halt, right? We've just added Brexit to the pandemic, to the energy crisis, and we've got this perfect storm of bollocks. I wonder, I wonder if, because uh, c- one of the other things that's dividing the debate on the new uh, leader of the Tory party is whether 
you know, does it have to be a Brexiteer that goes in? Because <laughs> yeah. Boris was a Brexiteer. He wasn't really, but he you know, said no. he was. Yeah. Uh, so does it have to be somebody? Does it even matter? And, of course, people on the Brexit side are, are going, you know, if you put, um, I, I don't know, Ben Wallace in there, uh, even Liz Truss, these were Remainers, and that would be a very bad thing because they think, well, they're just going to try and take us back in. Uh, I don't think they are. I mean, even no. the Labour Party have now said, we're not going to take us back in. Yeah. And, and, and said, we're not going to even agitate for that. That. That's true. Um, and the moment that Keir Starmer made that announcement, Boris Johnson quits. So um, <laughs> you, you kind of think, hang on, are we going to end up in a curious situation where we have a Remainer Prime Minister who is more EU friendly than the Labour front bench who's now nailed their colours to the mast? <laughs> well, they're not EU unfriendly. They're just saying, look, uh, you know, there's no point having this debate again about getting back into yeah. the EU. And I understand that. I think we need better trade terms with the EU. And hopefully somebody sensible will become the leader of our country uh, until the next election, at least. And, and we'll try to remove some of these problems and barriers rather than threaten to unilaterally rip up agreements and stuff like that. We'll actually work with the EU and, and, and improve things because we didn't have to have this car crash Brexit. It could have been done in a better way. Um, but let's see what happens. I spoke to uh, a kind of an EU guy I used to advise uh, William Hague, I think, Theresa May as well. Uh, really top of his game, this guy, in terms of knowing, you know, what happened with the Boris deal. Because, I mean, essentially, Theresa May got some kind of deal and Boris just used the same deal. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and said that and because it was Boris shouting it uh, very enthusiastically, everyone was like, oh, that's fantastic. And then, of course, yeah. he looked at the bits of it and got rid of stuff. So he tore up his own deal, uh. as it were. It's just an absolute nonsense. And there are kind of... There are options they could go for. I mean, it's you know the single market thing. They could do that. They don't have to pursue free movement of people, but it would probably join us up to other institutions. And it's this kind of strange evangelical, at uh, all costs, we must have nothing to do with the EU. It's like a bloody religion. Yeah, it is like a cult, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and it's driven us to a very bad place, you know, but they... I think they duped a lot of people in our country in the course of the, um, you know, the campaign to get out of Europe. Um, obviously, with a lot of false promises, like the three hundred and fifty sure. million a week to the NHS and uh, claims of you know this that, and the other, like they need us more than we need them, and you know, oh, God knows all of that yeah. stuff. You know, a lot of people were duped. Experts were rubbish, weren't they? It was like, oh, we don't need to hear from experts. It'll be don't fine. need any experts. We've got what, positivity. What yeah, like everything. Right. There is I like everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully these things will swing around and, you know, we know we needed experts during the pandemic. We valued them then. And, uh, you know, we'll see the Strange. true effects of Brexit soon enough, right? Some of us can see it now, but the general population, not quite yet. And we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's an enormous trading block, 600 million people. Yep. On our doorstep, it's got unified standards. Uh, you know, if you're in there, it's very easy to trade. If you're out there, it isn't. I mean, that's so what, that's, yeah. That's and, and actually, you know, a ten-year-old could have worked that bit out. But um, <laughs> that's right. uh, cl- climate change good for UK wine production. Ooh. Is that a, is this a positive story or a terrible story? No, I think it's one of those um, uh, cute little ways to look at a. F- in catastrophe, right? <laughs> at least we can make wine here. It's like saying, well, at least the summers are warmer. Is it? It's in that category, is it? Yeah, it's like that. And a final question from Jim, who says, I know you've planted your own trees, Dell, but what's your view on co-foresting? Should all companies be getting involved? Mm, what is co-foresting? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to take a guess that co-foresting is something like coexisting with oh. modernity and uh, nature's natural 
uh, requirements. So, yes, you build a, a big old tower block, but you also plant shitloads of trees around it. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I have no idea. But look, I, th- I think, um, yes, all companies should be involved in planting uh, and rewilding. And, you know, if you are going to build something, then, yeah, yeah, build space for nature as well or 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 design it in. So with Eco Park, the, this big thing that we're hoping to build, we are going to build soon, actually. Uh, we've got kilometers of hedgerows, thousands of trees, a new wetland sure. area. And we're going to have a 20% biodiversity boost on a 100-acre site where we'll also have the 4,000-job business park, um, a sports stadium, a hotel, and all kinds of other stuff. You know, it is possible to develop and build things and make room for nature. So I'm up for that. There it is. Uh, that's it for this episode, Del. Um, have a cracking week, um, and we'll speak in seven days. Well, that one flew by, didn't it? Flew by. Yeah, there's a lot in there. More <laughs> next week as the story develops. Nice one. Thank you, Ian. Cheers. Have a good week, Dale. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. And if you want to get in touch, uh, zero carbon Easter at ecotricity.co.uk and make sure you follow Dale on social media too. Zero carbon Easter.